Of the four candidates in the March 2nd primary for mayor of St. Louis, Andrew Jones is the only one who has never held elected office. Instead, he has spent 40 years in the utility industry, rising to the level of executive vice president. To Jones, that outsider perspective and real-world experience are exactly what the city needs to come back from what he calls a point of no return. Jones joins me next on Politically Speaking to talk about empowering the police, the importance of coming up with a real plan for economic development in the city, and how Proposition D boosts his chances of winning. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Littman. Joining me today is... Andrew Jones. Andrew is currently the Executive Vice President for Business Development and Marketing at the Southwestern Electric Cooperative. It serves 11 counties in Illinois, and he is one of four candidates running for mayor of St. Louis. You can find interviews with Tashara Jones, no relation to Andrew Jones, and Kara Spencer on our website, and we will tape an episode with Lewis Reed. Mr. Jones, welcome to Politically Speaking. Thank you. It is my pleasure. So you are not as well known as the other candidates in the race. So for those who may not remember your run in 2017, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am an executive at an electric utility company. I've been in an electric utility business for right at 40 plus years. After graduating college, uh, my undergrad, I went to Lincoln University, have a bachelor's degree in business administration, a minor degree in economics, came back to St. Louis, joined on at Ameren UE, decided to go to get a master's degree, got a master's degree in international business, and I also have an MBA from Washington University. And with that, I took an opportunity to expand and grow in my career to move over to Southwestern Electric, and I've been there ever since. And uh, right now, you've given my title, uh, Vice President of Business Development and Marketing there, and I also wear a bunch of other hats as well. And what is it about the city of St. Louis and the role of mayor that has enticed you to run twice now? Why is it something that you would give up this, you know, executive job and a career and a career path you've had for 40 years to be the chief executive of the city of St. Louis? Well, in looking back during the time period when I initially ran, I was very concerned about the status of the city. Uh, being an economic development practitioner, I'm involved with the Metropolitan Statistical Area, and we are trying to bring in businesses to the Metropolitan Statistical Area, and everything hinges on the hub, which is the city of St. Louis. Also, when I do return home from work, I'll turn on the news, and I'll see that the city is involved with things that I know that absolutely doesn't do anything well and productive for economic development and growth and viability for the city, so it really concerned me. And now that we have the additional problems of increasing violence, homicide violence, which is absolutely de devastating the PR for the city, it drove me to consider, boy, you have the background, you have the experience, you have the dedication, the commitment. And my wife challenged me and said, why don't you do something about it since you have so many answers? 
I sat back, contemplated, and I told myself, hey, why don't you? Why don't you get involved? Because I am an avid reader of history and reading some of Aristotle's work. Uh, he talks about a civilization is only as good as its citizens. And so that drove me to say, if I have answers, if I can remedy what is going wrong, I should be involved. So I threw my hat in the ring, if nothing else, the first time, just to make sure that those other opposites of ideas and philosophy are understood and heard and constructive criticism with it as well. And this time I'm looking at, we're probably crossing a point of no return, which frustrates the heck out of me. And I have to get involved to do something about it. When you say point of no return, what do you mean by that? Well, thresholds are crossed and doom and gloom has happened for cities, municipalities, townships <clears throat> throughout history. And there are areas that when you cross those, it's very difficult to, come, difficult to come back from because we live in a competitive society. Others are trying to get the businesses that we want. Others want the viability that we want and need. And if you have negative PR, being a homicide capital of the world, one of the most dangerous cities to ever be in, and businesses are looking at it, you lose your businesses, your existing businesses, you go down and plummet very quickly. So we have cities like Gary, Indiana, and neighboring cities who are struggling mightily because they can't sustain population. They couldn't get rid of the negative PR associated with violence and crime, and you then begin to plummet. And that's what I mean by the point of no return. We're starting to cross those thresholds where we will just have default growth here, but nothing was proactive and planned. And we'll get into talking a little bit about some of those plans you have to help us avoid the tipping point. But I did want to address, as you mentioned, you ran in 2017 uh, to have alternate viewpoints heard, and that was as the Republican candidate then. With Proposition D, it's now a nonpartisan election. And I'm wondering if that and the change to approval voting, how do you think that might help you? One thing with Proposition D, it required us to get 1,170 signatures. I probably got maybe 850 of those signatures myself, out meeting people, randomly stopping in various neighborhoods, getting those signatures. And I was hearing the laments from people about the crime, about lack of growth and disenfranchisement, things of that nature, the very fundamentals of what I talked about in the previous election. And therefore, when I put together my platform for this run, after I did my analysis, it panned out that it's the exact same platform. Um, but those were the drivers and that gives us an opportunity. It gives us a path to victory because more and more people are tuning in, listening. If you look at the history of Republicans at that time, not being able to get over four, maybe 5% of the vote. You know, I did move that up to double digits, to double digit numbers. And it showed that people are listening, people are frustrated. And again, hopefully we can get people in the mindset of what I learned from Aristotle is that it takes the public, it takes the citizenry, it takes the residents to look out for their own interests and to hold people accountable. What is the biggest issue facing St. Louis right now that you are worried is leading us toward that tipping point? The one that stands out like a sore thumb and that is crime. To be more specific, it's the violent crime that's associated with it. That is the earmark of what is devastating this city. I talked about the ways that St. Louis has. We have the highways, we have the railways, we have the waterways, we have the airways, we have everything within the infrastructure. We have outstanding utilities here with outstanding low rates. 
for their services. We have all of the infrastructure necessary for St. Louis to grow, take off, and become a, a, a beacon of civic excellence for everyone else. But if you don't have the right plans, you don't have people dedicated for the interests of the people, you'll never achieve it. What is your plan to tackle that key issue of violent crime? Very simple. One thing that we certainly have to do, and I say that what we have in the city of St. Louis, we have a leadership problem more than anything else. When you look at the police, the, our police, they do a phenomenal job. And I can't say that louder and more clearly. They do a great job. They're well-trained. They would like to be trained even more. We know that about 80% of the violent crime, the violent crime, which is the problem, is committed by a very, very small percentage of people associated with narcotics, drugs, and guns, and gangs. Small number of people. And now we have ancillary issues that come off of that where you have other people who are emboldened who may want to get into some level of uh, criminal enterprise, but the number one group are the ones I mentioned before and we have mechanisms. Our, our police know who they are. They're intimidated to execute their duties because their leadership won't allow them to do so. Therefore, it keep, continues to escalate. And I also add in as an addendum, I guess, you, I would classify it that way, is that we have such negative PR that bleeds from that, that we have to address the PR by getting out in front, talking about the positives of St. Louis. But as far as solving the issue, the, the problem with the violent crime is very easy. We let the police do their job under the leadership that holds everyone accountable. If our police do something wrong, we hold them accountable. If they do something right, we also acknowledge that and get people to understand that they are doing a fantastic job when they are doing a fantastic job and we can't scapegoat the police anymore. That's what we're doing at this particular point in time. When you say that they that leadership won't allow the police to do their job, what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at what's happening, again, through intelligent-led policing, we have the data. We know who they are. If I'm a lay person and I understand that 80% of this crime is committed by that very small number, why hasn't anything been done? Why aren't they arresting anyone? I'm saying they're intimidated because of the political backlash. They're intimidated because of what's happening throughout the country now with everyone lamenting and blaming everything on the police that they don't want the negative PR associated with dispatching their police, allowing them to do their job and no pun intended, handcuffing our police officers so that they can't get out and execute. There was a recent report by the Teneo Group that criticized the city for lacking an overall strategy to fight crime. Um, number one, where do you think the responsibility for that failure to have the overall plan lies? Well, as I previously mentioned, it comes from the leadership that again, handcuffs the, and, and it falls in, and it's in sync with what that part of the uh, report mentioned. It meant, it, and it's not, the, they're not the uh, police officers, the men and women in blue, it's those who are in charge who are not making the accurate decisions or coming up with the strategic and tactical plans to eliminate this very small number of people. Again, we're talking about a small number. It'd be different if we were uh, bombarded by groups of uh, terrorists and things of that nature. It's more complicated. We're talking about small group of people committing this violent crime and letting it escalate. Those are decisions that come from on high. Where's what role? 
What role should technology play in an overall strategy of fighting violent crime? They do have the technology. They utilize the technology. They are very effective at what they're doing relative to the technology. Now you have to get about the business of apprehending and getting those criminals off the street. That is absolutely something different than if you have the tools. And to continue that answer, I am a constitutionalist. I believe that people have rights. The tools that we see being utilized from cameras with the blue, red and blue lights that everyone see around the city, what's the difference from that and a airplane that takes surveillance? I, I understand, I appreciate the liberties that we have as citizens of this country and stand for it wholeheartedly. But if those tools are allotted and they pass the legal muster, we utilize every tool in order to get that criminal element off the street. But again, I have to emphasize this over and over. We know who they are. We already have the data. We have the information. We know what they do. We're not apprehending them because we are afraid. Our leadership is afraid of the fallout and the backlash that may come if something escalates to the point where they have to end up moving to the point where they take a violent criminal's life. In apprehending this criminal, they don't want that fallout because they don't want to deal with the subsequent riots or anything else that may come with people who are believing that the, the negative PR claiming that the police are at fault, that is systemic racism, things of that nature, when it's maybe not necessarily so. Do you believe that systemic racism does exist in policing more broadly? Uh, well, no, let me make sure I was clear on that. I'm saying that I don't see the data showing that it's systemic. What I'm saying, I'm seeing negative PR that falsifies a claim against police with systemic racism. Certainly there are not any perfect scenarios. Anytime human endeavor is involved, you are not going to get perfection. But what I tend to do and what I look at in evaluating things is that we are trying to do the least amount of harm, the least amount of harm in a very complicated scenario. Is there racism? Certainly there's racism in the world. There's all type of isms in the world, but under the proper leadership, you can manage that, you can eradicate it, you can get rid of it. The city has uh, contracted for Cure Violence. Um, they are now dispatching some mental health workers to certain calls. Are those programs that you would continue if you were elected mayor? Well, certainly we would have to evaluate them from where I sit and understanding what's going on. I would say that those, those uh, initiatives have very little impact, if nothing at all, relative to violent crime. Again, someone would have to correct me to tell me that criminals who are involved with drugs, narcotics, and the gangs associated with it will respond to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and others who are out talking. One of the biggest problems that happens with the city of St. Louis, we commit millions of dollars to programs that fail. And then when they fail, we repackage it and we resubmit something very close to it that fails and the cycle continues just like a dog chasing its tail. When the real issue is the violent crime. And the other thing that I would like to add to that, Rachel, is that we try to ignore the fact that we have outstanding agencies, institutions, and organizations that work with people when they have some type of issues, socioeconomic, mental issues, housing issues, all of those things, they do a phenomenal job. And we seem to conveniently ignore their expertise. If anything, 
We'll continue with our public service component part of it within our police department, doing getting out, meeting community policing, but also within the city, we certainly want to marry those social services, those experts who are great at that with those uh, people who need that particular help. You also mentioned early in our conversation that this could be a, a development hub if certain issues were addressed. And I'm wondering what your kind of broad strategy other than working on the reputation uh, of the city as being violent would be to build on those waterways, airways, highways that we have and bring development to the city of St. Louis. All of it's based on whether or not you have a comprehensive economic development plan. We don't have a, strand, a plan, we don't have a strategy in order to bring in existing businesses. But the most critical component part of this, Rachel, is the fact that you have to have a business retention plan. And when I've gone around and surveyed, just to make a determination if anything has gotten better, to talk to existing businesses in the metropolitan St. Louis area, they don't get any contact from the city of St. Louis relative to retention. That's the bedrock. That's the foundation of economic development. And if you're not doing that, you're not serious about it. It should be an intentional, strategic, tactical move within your economic development plan that is based on your values of your city and your region, your, vi your vision of the city, your mission, your strategies, your objectives, your processes and methodology, and last but not least, your implementation and your results. So what will be in your comprehensive economic development plan? The number one thing that you have to do in economic development you have to get people to accept that there is a need for a plan. And this is why I'm beating the drums for this. The second component part of it, you have to assemble a team of at least six to eight stakeholders to start out who understand what's needed, who can participate in the fluid dynamics of developing this plan. And that is the third component part, component part of economic development. The, sec the, the fourth part, they're dealing with the implementation of the plan, and finally, you have to continue to never stop developing your plan because this is a three to five year period where you have to reevaluate to get things done. So that's the mechanics of what an economic development plan would look like. What could or should the city be offering uh, as part of its economic development strategy? The, the mechanics are the active parts because once you follow the mechanics and the techniques, that leads you where you need to go. You can't do anything without those mechanics. But if you're going deeper in saying, for instance, the philosophical component parts of it are things that used to be commonly accepted in economic development, and you have concerns from citizens here about taxes, you don't lead with incentives. You don't lead with TIFs. The reason you don't lead with uh, TIFs is that you're trying to get stakeholders, prospective businesses to have skin in the game. Businesses are in business to make money, they're in business to satisfy the shareholder wealth of those businesses, and they'll come if they can make money, but you have to have things in place in order for them to make money. So that is part of an attraction acquisition part of the component, if that's what you're asking. And you also have to have the most vital component part as well, is the business retention, because what you want to do is be able to marry up those businesses that exist as part of your economic development program, community pro program, your business development program, you marry them up with the prospects. You're constantly meeting with prospects. You're constantly spend, sending out R R RFPs and everything else to try to attract people, meeting with people, 
and to get them to understand what's happening with, within the city of St. Louis, you can't neglect your existing businesses. And we'll be right back after this short break. And we are back on Politically Speaking with Andrew Jones, a candidate for mayor. I'm Rachel Lipman. And Mr. Jones, obviously one of the things that has been occupying quite a bit of time for the city and most regional, reader, most regional leaders, excuse me, has been the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, how would you rate the city's response to this? I've been very critical of the city of St. Louis, but I also am a realist. And I understand that there are limits that a municipality can do. A lot of this is headed up by the CDC, federal government, state government. And what the city can do is certainly have its positions in coordination with and collaborative with the CDC recommendations, the scientific community's recommendation. But I, the only area that I would have any type of real criticism for the city is that I think that they're neglecting the ability for people to make an income, businesses to be able to make an income, and certainly those who can at least afford to lose money, we're not taking their predicament, I think, in a strong enough manner to get people to work so that they can take care of their families so that we won't have the cascading and the peripheral issues that are now being more and more compounded with suicide rates for young people going up, things of that nature. We're gonna have to look at the science, the real science, make those assessments and make a determination, even if it's a hard determination, because again, I'm a constitutionalist. We have to extend rights to people outside of what is just maybe mandated because if it's law, we certainly have to be in compliance. But if there is mandated because there are concerns, we have to also make sure that those concerns don't unjustly impact others so that they won't be negatively impacted. So would you have been arguing for or perhaps having fewer restrictions on businesses being open? How would you balance some of the science that is saying indoor transmission, small group transmission with, as you mentioned, allowing people to make money at their jobs? There's a stark difference between consensus and science. There are some, uh, science is absolute. It doesn't deviate, it doesn't change. Consensus means that people get together and you have numbers of people who agree on something. When you look at most of the data, and I try to keep up with it as best as possible, there are conflicts in what is being talked about. So when you're talking about transmission, we have facilities that are open that transmit higher than restaurants and bars. And there would have to be some type of sound reasoning and answer given on why that is so. What I would do in my administration is certainly move to where we can also have economic growth, viability, because we don't want to impact people so negatively that they collapse because of the weight of not being able to earn money. But we want to do it in a safe manner that also is in compliance with the best science that exists. Would you keep the city's mask mandate in place? It was, it's a mandate at this particular point in time. The science says that we should be doing something, even though there are contradictions now that come out with that. Until something overrides that, it, I don't think it's more than an inconvenience for most people. I would have no problem with a mask whatsoever. Something that comes up a lot in both the issue of the COVID response and of economic development is the fact that both of those would work better as regional responses. How would you go about truly building regional response efforts in those key areas? 
Well, at that point, Rachel, we're still talking about constitutionality at that point. We just can't get away from what exists and what is the law. We have a lot of great idealistic positions, but does the rubber meet the road? Each city is autonomous. I want us to be a metropolitan statistical area, a region. My economic development approach is that way. But certainly we can't force anyone, but we will have conversations. I believe under a new administration headed by me, a person that's known throughout the region, we I, and I have built all types of collaborative relationships with prospective businesses, communities, municipalities, all of the, I like to call them the animal cracker organizations, the, the rotary clubs and all of your lions clubs, this bear club, all of those. I've done all of those different things and we can build regional cooperation but it, we have to keep in mind that this is voluntary. We cannot force anyone to do anything. There have been conversations over the last probably 18 months, two years about whether or not a private operator should take over at St. Louis Lambert International Airport. Is that something that you would consider if you were mayor? As mayor, as vice president of Southwestern Electric, Everything we do, and I think if you heard me talk about economic development, is based off of analysis, objective data, so that you can make a, an informed decision. I need more data. I need more information. We have choices. We have all type of methodology and tools that puts us in position to make the best decision. But if you're shooting from the hip, if you're throwing things up against the wall to see if it sticks, and then you have the convenience of not delivering having failed projects and you repackage it, you don't never have to be right. But in my job, if I'm not right, they send me home and with a goodbye and they'll bring someone else in. I'll talk to anyone about anything. That's what you do when you're in business and, and the city is a political business, but you talk to everyone about everything, but the word no, and I know you're a wordsmith being in the media, the word no is a complete sentence. Sometimes you have to say no. So I am not adverse to saying no, but in this case, give me the data so I can have a chance to say yes or no. We'll get census data in the next few weeks to a month. And while we don't know exactly what it's going to show, it's likely to show population drop across the city, but concentrated in the North St. Louis wards. And what's your strategy to stabilize that population loss and then maybe even turn it into growth by the time 2030 rolls around? Well, if, if you're giving me that time frame to work, we can get these things solved relatively quickly with those type of timeframes if you utilize, again, a comprehensive plan. Also within those plans, you have workforce development. We have more of a personnel problem than we have a jobs problem. We have plenty of jobs. We have to get the personnel married up to those jobs. So with workforce development, we are trying to enforce the idea that not only do you have to be a university student, but you also can be a trade tradesperson, and you can have a phenomenal career, make outstanding money so that you can take care of your family. So that we won't have to necessarily always talk about affordable homes. I like to talk about people who can deal with market rate homes because that is the key to solving most of the problems. We have to get people trained up so that they can take advantage 
one of the issues, and I'll keep lamenting and talking about plans over and over and over because this is the most critical component part of it, if people know what's involved in that economic development plan. Again, it's thorough. It deals with every facet. So if you're dealing with those areas in North St. Louis that are now starting to be totally abandoned and you want to shore it up, we do that within that workforce development more than anything else, my opinion, not fact, but it certainly is a supported opinion, informed opinion, that most economic development plans are not adhered to, develop, or any development plan is not adhered to because people are held accountable. And when you're held accountable and you're incompetent or you're at the Peter principle at a level above where you're competent at, you don't want to be exposed. So that's why I'm submitting that they don't want these types of plans because now there are timetables, benchmarks, scorecards associated with it, and they don't want to be exposed for their level of not delivering. And that's the reason North St. Louis looks the way it looks because they did not prepare adequately and thoroughly to make sure that the entire city benefits because there is a such thing as win-win. It's not, not, it's not always win-lose. How will you work with the aldermen to get these economic development, crime, uh, jobs, growth, et cetera, plans through? It has to be collaborative. You have to know how to build consensus. Certainly, St. Louis does not have a strong mayoral system. So that means it's embedded that you have to talk with others. But I believe if you come with a common sense approach, you come with no frills, but you're coming with information that actually proves your position instead of just willy-nilly coming up with things. Facts are very difficult to run around and to dismiss. So it's certainly my approach and everything else I deal with is that you have conversations, continuous conversations. I don't take anything personal because everything is about the city and the residents. If you go with that approach, you certainly want to get involved with that team, and we're a team. This is not an isolated thing. Andrew, in the time that we have left, uh, give our listeners an elevator pitch. Why are you the best candidate of the four for the job of mayor of St. Louis? I'm an outsider. I'm a businessman. I'm an accomplished businessman. I've been successful. If you talk about the American dream, I came from no little of nothing, built myself up, and I've been successful. My whole life has been centered on success and delivery. No fluff, anything like that, but we deliver. And when you look at what city of St. Louis needs, we need someone that delivers. I say I am the man for that. There's no doubt about it. And my mission is to change the mantra of the city to where we're St. Louis striving for excellence, being the guidepost, the fulcrum for success that others can mimic and be proud of when they mention the city of St. Louis. And there's only one person outside who has that skill in this particular race that can get that job done. I'm not part of the status quo and it's time to move on from the status quo. For all of our stories, you can go to stlpublicradio.org. I'm on Twitter at rlipman, that's two P's and two N's. Andrew, where can people find your campaign on social media and the rest of the World Wide Web? Well, the, the hub would be Andrew Jones for mayor, the number four, Andrew Jones for mayor.com. And within that particular uh, site, you'll be able to get to Instagram and social, all the other social media component parts there. And I'm hoping that everyone gets an opportunity to go there and to be able to look at the platform, 
get more detail. We're putting up video as we speak of me going into more detail about all of those plans and how we deal with crime so that we can move the city forward because we need someone that can take care of these issues. Until next time, so long.